This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Hello there and once again welcome to our Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams here as always alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin. Lots coming your way here. Kendra, let's waste no time, shall we? Plenty to cover during this particular podcast. Disappointment for Minnesota United down in Frisco, Texas. What were your takeaways from that particular game? You know, I think disappointment is the best way to put it. Um, you know, I think that I thought they were going to come out a little bit better in the first half, knowing what the result and, and how the game started against Sporting Kansas City the week before. And they had a full week to get ready. We know the travel is a new thing on the travel of game day, but I think ultimately um, they just came out a little bit slow, a little bit sluggish, a little bit sloppy and, you know, give, give Dallas some credit though. They were on the front foot. They had a, a game plan, a new, a new lineup, a new formation, and their attacking pieces were really desperate to find goals, knowing that they've struggled to do that. So, uh, for Minnesota United, you know what? They made some changes at halftime, some solid changes, some energy, some fresh legs, um, just the spark that they needed. And Hassani Dotson with an absolute banger. So, you you want to learn from that game, but you also want to wipe it from the slate and move on because these games are coming, you know, thick and fast, and and you don't have too much time to dwell, but enough time to have those guys think about, um, you know, what they didn't do in the first half and how they need to come out a little bit better at the start of the of the next match against Houston. Yeah, before we move on to the main course of this podcast, Kendra, um, plenty of positives for Minnesota United, though. It'll be very interesting to see what Adrian Heath does against Houston Dynamo. We'll cover that a little later on. But the likes of Raheem Edwards, Thomas Chacon and Mason Toy coming on and really making an impression. Yeah, and I think that um, it wasn't just about the substitutions themselves. And those players, I thought, did really well. I mean, there wasn't much that I could look at from any of those three you just named, and then including Hassani Dotson, that I would say made some mistakes or made errors. I think for the most part, it wasn't just about the spark and the energy. It was about the tactical change in formation, putting Hassani Dotson in the midfield, adding that extra body to help out with Ozzy and Jan. But, I mean, Thomas Chacon and, um, and Mason Toy and Raheem Edwards, I just thought they played the part really well in the sense of the formation and creating some width, some creating opportunities. They both cut in at times and cut central into the middle of the pitch, and we saw an excellent strike by Raheem Edwards but they also created the width, the much needed width that I think has been missing on occasion. And Mason Toy trying to find his way with those runs up top in a very crowded box, especially the way Dallas had really dropped in defensively in that second half. Okay, I think um, the less we say about Dallas, the better. Let's uh, keep it that way, shall we? Let's, let's identify it as that, shall we? Um, and let's move on to some positive headlines for Minnesota United, no doubt about it. And number 10 has been the need for the Loons for a long, long time. That simply is not the case anymore. Earlier on during the week, we had the chance to speak to our technical director, Mark Watson, all about Emmanuel Reynoso. Watto, thank you so much for joining us. The deal's done. Emmanuel Reynoso is a Minnesota United player. First of all, on behalf of everybody from Minnesota United, thank you for your hard work. I know you've been up and down to Argentina. You've been doing just about everything and more to get this deal done. How delighted with this deal are you? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, first off. Um, <clears throat> no, we're excited. I know um, it was a very lengthy process. Um, you know, we started in early January, and what are we now? We're in August, so that's that's a long time. But uh, we feel really good about, you know, signing Emmanuel. We, we time and time again, um, you know, felt he was the, the right player for us. And, you know, uh, the, a missing piece that 
you know, we wanted to want to add to the group. You know, we 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 have a really good group. Um, you know, there's a lot of depth. There's you know, there's a lot of quality in the team. But we felt someone, you know, with his profile and his age and his energy, um, he was going to be the right fit for the team to help us help us get better. So we're we're really excited about the signing. Take me through, if you can, the process of the last seven months, Walter. How how does a deal like this come about? What goes into making it happen? And when was the player first identified? So he's he's been someone that's been identified for a long time, and, and not by us, by a bunch of other clubs within the league as well. Um, so in, in the off-season, that was a position we were we were looking at um, upgrading. So uh, there, were, there were other players on the list with different profiles, but uh, once we identified him as the one we wanted to move forward with and you know, maybe the potential that he was available, uh, we wanted to move forward. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's scouting, there's being on list, there's, you know, staying up to date with, with agents and clubs and, you know, prices and availability. Um, so that was, that was all part of it. But, um, you know, as of early January, um, we'd identified him as, as someone we wanted to move forward on. Um, we felt the range of, the financial side was something we potentially could do, although we knew there was still going to be um, a negotiation side of it. Uh, at that point, I, I went to Argentina to look, to look to get the deal done. And, you know, it was complicated. Um, there was so many things that went on. Um, but the one thing I will say that kind of encapsulated the whole deal was they were not desperate to get rid of the player or, or move the player on. And, and quite often... You know, clubs want to move the player on, so they're motivated to move them, um, and it 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 helps you know things progress a little bit quicker. But um, they really like the player. He was he's young, he's talented, uh, he was part of a really a really good group. Um, you know, they were they were chasing River for the the Super League title, which is their big rival, um, and and you know they didn't want to jeopardize that that opportunity, so. There were moments when, and I'll, I'll never forget this moment, we, we were there early January um, looking to get the deal done, and they are playing preseason games. And they were up in a, a small town in northern Argentina. I think they played against uh, Atletico Paranense. And I'm watching from the hotel lobby in, in Buenos Aires. He was by far the best player on the field. And he scored an unbelievable third goal. And I look at the agent I'm with, and I just said, that's not good. That is not good at all, you know. And and like I said, he's he's a really good player, and they didn't want to get rid of him. So there was there was peaks and valleys of, you know, he plays a really good game, and everyone says you're crazy if you get rid of this guy, and you know it was problematic to the deal. So there there was there was a lot of factors uh, that went into it, and you know there were there's probably two or three times where pre-COVID shutdown we thought we were pretty close, and obviously that didn't happen. So then went through COVID, and then things started up again. So. Um, a long, a long process, but, um, you know, looking back now, um, you know, we feel good about it and we think we got a really good player to take us to the next level for years to come. Well, we know the interest from Minnesota United side, but talk us through a little bit, the feeling and emotion from his side. Why did he want to come to MLS? Why Minnesota United? There's been an influx of South American players. So what, what was it for him that this was a good move for him? Yeah, I think there's there was there's a general allure of MLS, and it's a testament to, you know, Minnesota United, but also the league that, you know, these players these players want to come and play. So I think he was interested with the U.S. in the league. 
he did a trip with Boca Juniors a couple years prior uh, and played some friendly games and, and loved, loved being here. So I think that was always in there. And once we expressed our interest, um, you know, I think he was, he was very, very interested. Once we actually met and had a sit down and discussed, you know, the club and, you know, what, what we wanted from him and how we saw him, you know, integrating into the team. We talked about, you know, the city and the stadium and the training ground. And he, he obviously was online doing his own research. Um, you know, pretty much after we actually had a sit down, he was completely all in. And um, I, I can say this, there was a lot of factors in this deal. Um, this deal does not get done if he is not, you know, as motivated and focused on coming here. You know, he had to extend himself a couple times, you know, to basically force his force the club's hand to let him go. And, you know, Argentinian football is is very intense. And for you to say to your club, you know, I want to leave, I don't want to be here anymore, is is a really brave thing to do because if it doesn't happen and it became public, you're you know, you're you're looked on as as disloyal to the club and you probably can't walk the streets. So um you know, once he knew that we were, we were going to pursue him, um, and he felt the same way, he was all in and went in a bunch of times to, to force this deal over the line. And you know, there was financial implications for him um, as well. Um, you know, so that that was that was important. We we don't want to you know beg anyone to come play for us. Um, and and since like, like I said, we had that initial discussion. He's been completely all in, and his his motivation has been to come play for Minnesota United. I know from time to time, whilst with Boca Juniors, he would play a little bit deeper. You have said to him, though, you're coming here to be the number 10. And right. you had shared a little story with us a week or so ago, saying that when you told him that, he got quite emotional. Would you mind sharing that story? Sure. So um, he's a player with great versatility, I will say that. Um, but Boca Juniors is a really big club. And... Um, you know, they have superstars like Tevez and Schiloto played there and Maradona played there and Raquel May played there. So um, he's he's been asked to play a bunch of different positions and, and positions, you know, that are attacking positions but also required a, a really big defensive workload to let some of the other players, you know, kind of do their attacking thing. And, you know, the name Carlos Tevez is the main one. You know, he's maybe not going to do as much work as he would have done when he was he was younger um, and he was given kind of a free role. So other players had to had to pick up the slack, and he was one. Um, he's played wide. He's played underneath in a 4-3-3, um, but he's also played as the number 10, and, you know, that's the position we we want him to play. You know, not that we won't play different positions, you know. The, um, that's the head coach's decision, but we see him as an attacking player, someone that can play off a striker, off a number nine, you know, create goals and score goals. Um you know, in the games that we watched him play in that position, I think he's going he's gonna to fit the, fit the role perfectly. Um, you know, once we had that discussion and we said, listen, the number 10 jersey is open and we see you as that person and we want you to be our 10. And, you know, he, he, he basically had tears in his eye because, you know, in Argentina, that's, that's the number that Raquel May wore and Maradona wore. And, and that, is, that is, you know, a sacred thing to wear the number, number 10 shirt. And, He's, um, he's aware of the, the honor and the responsibility uh, to wear that shirt. And, you know, he's always wanted to wear it, and he's always wanted to play that position. 
Uh, and he has done at times at Boca, which is which is a really big honor. Not that he had the number, but he played the position. Um, so when when he heard that that was that was what we wanted him to be, if if we were able to get the deal done, he got really emotional and he had he had a little tear in his eye. So um, it's it means a lot to him. So when you talk about him as the number ten, what what specifically excited you? and the staff and the club about him and his abilities. What can people expect to see from him when he is on the pitch? You talked about his versatility, but more specifically from a technical and, and tactical standpoint, what does he do that really caught your eye? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think he's a great age. He's 24. He's really energetic. Um, he's got a great mentality. He's full of running, you know, which is, which is something that we want to make sure every player has. So he has that as an attacking player. Um, in terms of the actual technical qualities uh, and tactical qualities, he's got great feet. He's got an incredible left foot. Um, he finds those little half spaces that we, we want him to try and find to get on the ball uh, and then combine with it with a number nine. So he's got, he's got the, the final pass to play people through. He can play the wide players through. And even though he hasn't you know, spent as much time cl- as close to goal as we want him to, when he's in those those spaces, he's he's a great finisher. He's got a great left foot, um, free kicks to goal, um, you know, and running in behind and, and being dangerous. So um, we felt his profile and all his qualities translated really well to that. Um, so I, I you know I think he's gonna he's gonna fit the bill really well. And we we have other players that can play in those positions, and we have other formations we play. So as much as we see him playing number ten in a, a four two three one. He can play wide in a 4-3-3, or he can play one of the, you know, attacking midfield positions in a 4-3-3. So um, as much as we think that's the main path forward, there's, there's the versatility side that he can, he can be flexible and, uh, you know, if Adrian wants to play a different formation. How do we think, Watto, that he will translate into Major League Soccer? Because no doubt being the number 10, it yields a lot of responsibility, as was already insinuated. But he's been under a heck of a lot of pressure already, been a first-team regular at Boca Juniors, has he not? He has. I, I don't, And that's one thing with, with Argentine players, and I think that's one of the reasons they're so valued around the world. Um, they play under incredible pressure every day. And there's, you know, there's probably an argument, but I don't know if there's a club you're under more pressure playing for than Boca Juniors. You know, if you, if you lose to River, if you lose a, a game at home, you, you probably don't go out of your, your apartment for, for a couple of days or up until the next game. So he's, I think he's going to be used to that type of pressure. He, he's, he's played at the Bombonera, you know, 40 times. And anyone that's ever been there, um, you know, it's an, it's an awesome place to watch a game. But um, the atmosphere and the pressure is, is probably unlike any place in the world. So we think that will, will help him translate really well. Um, you know, I also think the MLS has a, has a real history with Argentine players and Argentine number 10 specifically doing well and, you know, and translating well. Um, you know, there's sometimes an adjustment period, you know, so that's, that's something that, you know, can happen, but the Argentine players have always adjusted really quickly. So uh, we hope that's the case. Um, we think he's got all the qualities to do really well. And, you know, I think he fits our, our culture and our philosophy and, and, you know, kind of supplementing a really good group of guys. I think he's going to fit in really well. What does this mean? You said Adrian can play multiple formations. Clearly, he's got versatility. He can play in different positions, not just the 10. Mm-hmm. What does this mean for other players on the roster as Kevin Molino has at 
a good chunk of the time with Adrian here, been sort of tabbed as that playmaker, that number 10. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Darwin Quintero was here for a bit, but what does that mean and how can they maybe play together then, Kevin Molino and... Yeah, no, it's it's going to be it's going to be a great problem to have. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not really a problem. It's adding it's adding another really high level player. So I think the competition for places places is just going to going to go up a notch. Um, it's going to give Adrian more opportunities to do different things and have players in different positions. You know, we have a lot of players that are really comfortable uh, in those little you know forward pockets and in between the seams. You know, Robin Ludd does very well in there. Kevin's great in there. Um, and and Reynoso is very comfortable in there, so it, it gives us a lot of tactical flexibility. So we we may be able to play something that we've not played before because of the personnel now. So uh, and that's up to Adrian. So um, you know, I think I think it it just raises the whole group, and it's going to be really hard to to you know play on a Saturday for Minnesota United. It, you know, the competition just goes up a up a notch, and I and I think it's good for the group. To our knowledge, Walter, the transfer fee is around about five and a half million dollars. I'm, I'm sure there's other um, little bits in, involved um, in, the, in getting the deal done. Um, but what does it say about this ownership group and, and how much comfort do you take knowing that now this club is as established as they are and they can go and get players like this? No, it's a, it's a big step for us. And I want to thank Bill and the ownership group for um, for supporting this move. I think it's a real testament to... Um, you know, our club in general and our, our progress, we've made incredible progress every year. And, and now we're in a position where, you know, we can sign a player of this quality. Um, it wasn't just, you know, here's, here's some money, go, go spend it. This was, you know, we spent a lot of time and made sure this was the right player. And, and Bill was, was very involved in the, in the process. So, um, you know, it's a testament to where we are, you know, this, the league is growing, the league is adding a lot of players, the you know, the teams around the league are, are spending money. So, um, you know, we, we have to keep improving. Um, but it, it is a real testament and a, and a thank you to our ownership group to um, to want to add a player of, of this quality. Finally, on Reynoso, Watto, what are the short-term aims, goals, and what are the long-term aims and goals for this particular player? Um, you know, I, th- I think... We want him to be part of a, a successful group. So, you know, I think he's well aware that, um, you know, being a number 10 and wearing the number 10 jersey, there's there's expectations to produce goals and assists. Um, but I don't, you know, we're not going to throw that that type of pressure on him right away, even though I think he's aware of it. Um, first of all, we want to integrate him into the group. We want to get him fit. He hasn't played for a while. Um, so we're not going to throw ridiculous expectations on him um, too early but we know he's a good player player and and he knows he's here to you know be be our best player and and produce you know i think that goes without saying so um you know we'll first get him get him fit and integrate in the team and and see where we go not the only addition during this window as well you've been a very busy boy mr watson and brought in bakai dibassi over from amiens in ligan as well uh, a player who I'm assuming you think is going to add a heck of a lot to an already very solid back line for Minnesota United. Yeah, definitely. He's um, he's someone we're really excited about and, and someone we've known about and and pursued for a couple of years. So we're we're really happy to to sign Baki. He is um, he's a top player. He's played at a, an incredibly high level for a long time, um, and I think I think he's going to be a really good addition. The the one thing that was really um, attractive about him, other than just him being a an incredible player was his versatility. So he's, 
Uh, like I said, he is joining a, a really good defensive group and a, and a, and a really solid team. Um, but he he can play multiple positions, and that's something that was that was really attractive to us. Well, and you just talked about the depth and the the quality and the depth, and you know wanting a, a couple guys at every position that can really step in. So again, just adding quality and competition to that roster. But when you look at this signing, and you look at and you look at Reynoso, where has this roster kind of come from since 2017? And now that you're having this discussion, you're having these good problems to have, where you have a player like Debassi and Reynoso that are quality depth. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's kind of been the the mantra from from day one. Let's continue to get better, and it's player by player. Uh, you know, so from where we are now to where we were the start of 2017, it's we've come a long way. Um, you know, and to add a player like this. Um, it just takes us to the next level, and it's adding that that quality of a player. But uh, and as I mentioned with Reynoso, it just takes the the competition to the next level. Um, you know, we're getting deeper. The competition for places is incredible. To to be in the starting eleven on a Saturday, you know, you you've, you're going to have to <clears throat> earn that right. So um, plus, it gives us a lot of depth. You know, if you were to have an injury, Ico Parr has been injured recently, so um, you know we have someone like Baki to come in and and fill in his spot, and you know. Um, we just, we just want to keep doing that and, you know, getting, getting better and getting deeper and, uh, keep building the group. And like, like I said, that's, that's been the, the plan from day one and, and we'll continue the process. Interested, Watto, obviously you've dealt with a lot of international GMs and agents and managers and, and what have you over the course of, of the last year. How is the perception of major league soccer when you're, when you're dealing with individuals like this? I'm assuming it's growing year by year. It's, it's growing incredibly. And I think, you know, even the last few years has grown exponentially. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of interest. Um, and I think with the addition of, of TAM, where, where you have the ability to compete financially for, for some really top players in South America and Europe. I'm not talking your DP, DP players, but just your really good professional top-level players. Um, you know, I think it's taken the league to, to the next level. But there's you wouldn't believe the interest we get. So um, I think the league has grown. I think it's an incredible place to play. I know this is an incredible place to live. So, um, you know, and that'll continue, continue to grow with the players we're adding and the, and the quality that's, um, that keeps increasing year by year. I think the interest is only going to get better. Wondering as well, Walter, how, um, how much did the, the deal of uh, Miguel Almiron um, I want to play its part in, in the attraction to Major League Soccer, people seeing somewhat of a pathway to, to bigger and better things. Yeah, no, that, it's, it's been key. Um, and that's probably the one deal that gets mentioned all the time in terms of, um, you know, a young player wanting to come to MLS. There, there was, you know, the old kind of stereotype of the retirement league and the older player, the 30-plus player wanting to come and, and play a couple of years in MLS before they retire. That, that's not the case anymore. And I think, I think the Almiron deal was, um, was probably the the icebreaker for that, you know, where you get a young, talented player, you have to pay good money for him, but he comes in and does really well. And then he, he gets a big move to, to a, a big Premier League club. So uh, you're going to see more and more, I think convincing players and convincing teams to, you know, have players come here as, as a stepping stone, I think is really important. And, you know, it's happening more and more, but I think the, the Almiron deal was the one that everyone references and, and really, kind of change the the dynamic of the league as, you know, this, this is a league of choice to have young players come and, um, you know, increase the quality of the league, but also go on to, you know, go on to the Premier League or go on to the Bundesliga or uh, La Liga. 
Also, we appreciate your time. Before we let you go, there's one question I've been dying to ask you for a while. Um, 2020 has been an anomaly, to say the least. I think that's been light when we talk about it. Um, how has COVID and all the issues that the world is, is undergoing at the moment, how have that affected your job? How has it made it more difficult for you? You know, it's um, it's been challenging. And, and basically, you know, the world stopped and our jobs, you know, essentially stopped for a long time. Mm. Although the, the work didn't stop, we did an incredible amount of work during that time. Um, but everything was shrouded in uncertainty, as, as the world was. You know, the, the financial side of the world, you know, businesses trying to stay open. It was, it was, it was you know, it was in every facet of life, and, and we weren't immune to it. But we, we did a lot of work and a lot of, you know, preparation for all the what-ifs. And, you know, there was probably more work done during COVID, believe it or not, um, just because of, of the contingency planning and, you know, is there going to be a post COVID lockdown price or, you know, what, what happens when we come out of this? So uh, it's been really interesting and, you know, we, we wanted to be as prepared as possible for, you know, what we would find once we came out of this. And quite frankly, we didn't know if and when we were coming out of it, you know, and we'd hoped and there was rumors and speculation. So um, there was a lot of work and, you know, we were, we were actually really prepared for, for coming out of it. And the two players that we wanted to sign, we actually managed to get over the line. Uh, they were both, you know, complicated and, and took longer than we'd, we'd hoped for. But uh, we feel really good about it. We've added two really quality players. We still have the capability of, of improving again. Um, but we really like the group where it is. You got them done. Otto, well done. Thank you very much for joining us. Really Thanks. appreciate it. Yeah, always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Wonderful stuff from Mark Watson and Kindred E. St. Aubin. Still plenty more coming your way on the Match Preview podcast. Next up, it's all about the MLS headlines and the Loon's next opponents, Houston Dynamo. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. A very warm welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin. All about Houston Dynamo over the next couple of days for Minnesota United. We'll take a deep look into them a little later on, Kindred. But first, plenty to talk about in terms of Major League Soccer. Some really intriguing results over the course of the last few days. Let's start somewhere that I know is close to your heart in California. And the Californian Classico, the Galaxy victorious over San Jose Earthquakes. Um, always uh, an element of intrigue with this game. And, and that particular 90 minutes was no different. You know, I think what's kind of sparking my interest with that, not just particularly that match, but with LA Galaxy, is that have they found something? Have they figured something out? I mean, they beat an LAFC team um, that had Carlos Vela for much of it. And then also now to beat the San Jose Earthquakes, who you know the Earthquakes are itching to get back on track after kind of the way they went out of the tournament against Minnesota United down in Orlando. So I think my eyes go to that match once again because I wondered if the LAFC-LA Galaxy match was a flash in the pan and if the LA Galaxy and, um, you know, Guillermo Barros-Scalota have figured something out. And that back line is still leaking. And they're still going to have to figure some things out. I, I said the other day, I think we've been talking more about center backs and back lines this season in MLS than maybe any other time. 
And teams might now be realizing they need to they need to spend money on those back lines. They need to spend money on those center backs, knowing the amount of money and the talent that is up front for the opposition. So that's what sparked my interest about that match. But again, we talk about the Western Conference. Maybe it was a three-two game. So again, anybody can just about win on any given day, and that's what makes this league so much fun, and and particularly the Western Conference. I mean this with all due respect, Kendra. You make an interesting point there about sides in this league now perhaps having to invest a little bit more on the defensive side of the field. It's not really been a consistent case in Major League Soccer ever since the birth of the league 25 years ago. Is it a sign of maturity now that perhaps this is needed a little more than it has been in the past? I think so. And I think it was maybe a month ago that you and I had this conversation um, off air, just saying, let's go back and name the backs, the last center back or the last defender that big money was spent on. I mean, you're not going to make them necessarily a DP um, or spend an insane amount of TAM on a, on a defensive player. But I think now leagues are really seeing that they're seeing that this has become an issue and this, this isn't just a, a single club or a single one-time, a one-off. This is consistent across the league. Several teams have had discussions. Seattle Sounders, all of a sudden Chad Marshall retires. You know, there's certain players and you're looking at their back line. LAFC has struggled with their back line and the goals are not always going to come. So you have to find a way to defensively stop the opposition. And I do think it's, it's the point in time where this league is going to have to start looking um, at the defense and, and spending a little, putting a little bit of money, some, some investment into those back lines with the quality of the attacking pieces from the other side. Well, talking of defensive issues, there were plenty of rear guard frailties in Portland over the weekend. 4-4 it finished between the Timbers and Rail Salt Lake and not short of entertainment, but from a defensive point of view, Kendra, it was an absolute disaster for both sides. Well, look, this is this was an entertaining game for anybody to actually get to watch it and and enjoy it. And, um, you know, we saw a lot of late scored goals in the tournament down in Orlando because of the added time and the the heat and the climate. And now we're seeing goals being scored in added time. And that was nuts. And there were some giveaways and some poor opportunities that were created by some poor giveaways, by the defenses, some lack of marking. And you just wonder, as you watch some of these goals being scored, is the mental focus of teams. Now, I haven't watched every minute of every match of MLS on every weekend because it's or during the week for that matter, because there's been so many games. But when you go back and you look at the highlights of a lot of these goals that have been scored is it does seem like it's a moment of turning off by the defense. It's just a lacking of marking on the back post, not tracking the runner, not, you know, having your body in a position where you're aware of what's going on around you. And you just wonder as the teams are getting back into the fold and it's been this crazy 2020 season, there's certain sharpness in certain areas now that I think that I'm seeing that's lacking. And it's not necessarily from a technical standpoint. It could be more from a, men a mental standpoint of, of some of these goals that have been allowed. But hey, 4-4. First of all, I know you'd love to call a 4-4 game because that, you know, that gives you something to talk about. But it was fun to watch. It was fun to see some of the goals being scored in these in these games. 4-4, 3-2. A lot, of, a lot of offense right now, not a whole lot of defense. Whilst we're on the subject of Rail Salt Lake as well, we, we have to talk about the absolutely outrageous and simply disgusting comments that came from the RSL owner, Deloitte Hansen. Um, we've since learned that he is going to sell the, the company that owns both RSL, um, the uh, Utah Royals and the Rail Monarchs as well, the, NWSL and USL franchise that Deloitte Hansen's company owns. 
simple fact of the matter is here, Kendra, there's, there's no room for those types of comments anywhere in the world, but there's also no room for people like that in our league. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, as we saw this sort of unfold and, and come to light as the week went on and the last week and a half in particular, you know, it wasn't just the racial comments. It was also some of the situations that certain employees were put in, uh, female employees at holiday parties and other things. And and I think, you know, the league did their due diligence as soon as these started coming to light. They did their own investigation. They put out a statement. And you know what, Deloitte Hansen, um probably did the right thing in selling the team and just, you know, biting the bullet and saying this, this is the right decision to make at this time. And I don't know who's advising him. I don't know whose decision that was ultimately, I don't know how much pressure was put on by the league or if this was just something he came to himself, but um, it, there is no, there is no place for any of those kinds of actions and comments in any workplace and just in life in general, this isn't just a workplace thing, but in life. And I think what people were commenting on is also saying that this this is one of those things that's been going on for a long time and it gets swept under the rug and not noticed and not brought to the forefront or maybe someone makes a complaint but it doesn't it's not big enough of a stir and now it's to the point in this society and this time um, where these things cannot be tolerated and I think that's what we're seeing not just with Real Salt Lake, but we've seen it with a lot of companies and a lot of businesses and not just in sports, that these these kinds of things just can't be tolerated anymore. And I think um, a change in ownership, and I saw a rumor that maybe J.J. Watt is going to buy the team and, and buy the franchise, and we'll see where that goes, I believe. Is that where his wife plays I for NWSL? Because that might be a conflict of interest. Well, but the, the thing is, <laughs> is, is having somebody like a J.J. Watt, and you know my NFL knowledge is... Um, light to say the least um but even i know who jj watt is and have seen his um positive way of thinking and particularly about the sport of soccer as well i think he'd be welcome with open arms would he not oh absolutely no doubt i mean i think that and i i don't know him personally but i know probably like you do where you just see him publicly and uh, he's a, a great person a great role model he has great character it seems as though he has great you know values and morals from the things he does in his community what he did for houston um after the hurricane a few years ago and now again so I think that um, he is definitely one of those people that you would like to have on the front of your franchise and representing you and that he would probably make a point and an effort to be visible and to be at games and to um, have a good impression on, on the club and the community. Um, but it would be hard, I'm sure, for him to adopt that community when he is so ingrained in Houston. And then he's also from Wisconsin, and I know he still does a lot, a lot there, but he, I think he would be a great face for that franchise, just from what I know of, of seeing him out in the public right now. Um, his wife plays for Chicago Red Stars, by the way, who I don't think... Okay, okay. I don't think they need an investor right now because <laughs> everything in Chicago looks like it's going very, very well indeed with the fire and the Red Stars. Um, let's go back to some of the results over the past few days, shall we? Um, it was the Battle of the Expansion franchises just a few days ago. Uh, Nashville SC getting the better of Inter-Miami. Um, it looks, Kindra, as if things are slowly starting to come together in Nashville. Well, they have added some pieces, and I think that, um, you know, anytime you have an expansion side, and we've seen this for ourselves in Minnesota United, it just takes time. And if you want time and you want to get your feet underneath you, well, it makes it even more difficult in a year like 2020, where your season and your time spent together as a club and with 
with the staff and people just guys move into Nashville, guys getting their lives put together. And now you're trying to get your soccer team sorted out in the midst of trying to get your life sorted out in the middle of 2020. So yeah, I think Nashville might be finding their way. I mean, it was one nothing match and to take nothing away from that strike. I mean, Annabelle Godoy was beautiful and I'm sure it's probably one of the choices for goal of the week. I'm voting for Sonny Dotson, but that's neither here nor there. But um, I think that Nashville might, might be getting it together. And more importantly, defensively, they didn't allow a goal. I think the shutout for them is important. And, you know, I don't know. What do you have to say about Miami? I, I think there's just so much pressure on that franchise and that club with the star power and the expectation of what they're supposed to bring in and the quality of the players. And you've got David Beckham as the face of your franchise. That's, there's a lot of pressure on that team. And right now they haven't been able to put the right product on the field to get the results. Seems as though Argentines are becoming the uh, main talking points of this particular podcast. Gonzalo Higuain. Very, very strongly linked with Inter Miami. Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all with uh, David Beckham's connections and uh, Jorge Mas and all the amounts of money they have at that particular franchise. Kendra, let me ask you about Seattle Sounders as well. Comfortably pushing aside LAFC. Jordan Morris looked like he was back to his best. Some fabulous goals from him. Um, are we starting to sense a little issue with LAFC anyway? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that back line once again. But the more important piece for probably that whole roster and for Bob Bradley is the fact that I think they think they can just flip a switch and turn it on. And we saw the same thing against LA Galaxy. They didn't look good for the majority of the match. And I think at halftime, they probably thought, we'll just flip a switch and we'll turn it on. Last time we beat these guys six to two. And now you have, you know, you go to Seattle, you play against your rival and you same thing. You start out a little slow. Oh, the goals will come. The goals will come. And especially the way Diego Rossi looked um, in the, you know, MLS's back tournament. Well, instead they're finding that they're just not sharp. There's just a, too many guys that are not in form right now. Seattle took advantage of that. Um, they Raul Ruiz Diaz looked good. Jordan Morris looked good. But they split those center backs. They confused the back line. And when I say they confused the back line, it didn't take a whole lot. It wasn't like they had some magic trick up their sleeve. You know, I mean, I like Schmetzer, but I don't think he pulled anything out of his hat. That it was just basic fundamental, solid tactical soccer with the runs in between and behind that beat that back line. And um, they didn't get much help from the midfield either. And then when you aren't scoring goals, Diego Palacios isn't doing what he needs to do on the outside and in the attack. And then at the same time, you've got um, Rodriguez, who didn't look great, Mark Anthony Kay, who's struggling a little bit on the ball. A lot of things not going the right way. And Bob Bradley did not mince words after that match. And credit to Seattle, they did what they needed to do and they got the win and they had a fantastic game plan and they their back line did not cost him in this match. Hmm. Yeah, Raul Ruiz Diaz with a fabulous goal as well. Um, little issue in the goalkeeping department, I think, for LAFC. Shouldn't have got red side of Yes. Oh, my gosh. I forgot. I forgot that Vermeer was at the halfway line. I think my husband and I were both like, what? what is he do? You know, what's going on there? I mean, I, I think he came off his line a little bit early. I'm no goalkeeping coach, but... That's my area of uh, not expertise, but I think I can call that one. Yeah, and also we like Brian Schmetzer, don't we? He, he gave us a yes. nice compliment when we were walking through CenturyLink Field. Rather randomly, was it towards the end of last season, wasn't it? We were walking through the tunnel. And he just it was went, the last game. It was the last was, game of the year. Was, last yeah. game of the regular season, yeah. And we were, yeah, their team, you know, they take a long time. Their families come out on the pitch after the game. And we were, I was hustling to get to the airport. And uh, I think you were hustling to an Uber and we were both trying to get out of there. And yeah, and he gave us a nice compliment, which he didn't need to do. That was, he's a, I've always enjoyed any interview or conversation that we've been able to have with him. He's a very nice guy. And I think that the players like him and he's a good coach. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, really happy that they won MLS Cup in the way that they did as well um, last year. Um, and as we mentioned earlier on, Raul Rui Diaz was um, uh, the goal scorer of the first Sounders goals. And whilst we're talking of South American threats and attacking pieces, that's exactly what Minnesota United will be coming up against over the course of the next few days in the shape of Houston Dynamo. When you think of the likes of Albert Elise and an individual that we'll be very familiar with in Darwin Quintero, Kendra. Before we break down the way the Dynamo play and, and the difficulties they can cause for Minnesota United, I know you know Tab Ramos quite well. First of all, um, has it been as successful the, the start to the season that they've had? I, I know it, it's so difficult to make any sort of judgment now because 2020 is such an anomaly, but have you been impressed with what you've seen from his side so far or, or is there simply more to come well I think there's more to come and um I but I have been impressed because I think he 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 was hired October 25th and he walked into a situation I think where there's a lot of moving pieces you know you always had Albert Elise and others with one foot out the door these transfer rumors that have been going on now for what two years it feels like with some of these guys that they weren't going to be back and you're trying to meld this group together you add Darwin Quintero in the mix which is a very strong personality and a, and a player that you're trying to fit into the fold but then you also have some really solid pieces um, so I, I think Tab Ramos has done a really good job with what he has in front of him I think there's more to come it's been a wonky 2020 we've said that numerous times I don't think um you know Oscar Pereja what he's been able to do in the short time with Orlando I don't think that is necessarily the standard that people have to hold themselves to because for some reason he was able to get that group clicked and working together and I think more of what you're seeing in inter-Miami Nashville and I, I know there's their expansion teams but new coaches new situations new systems and tab walking into Houston is very much the same. And I think he has the responsibility and some pressure on him to change the whole soccer culture in Houston. That's always been the complaint when you talk to people that live in Houston that are in the soccer fold is, why are we not selling out games? We are a soccer community. There is an insane soccer presence here in this part of the country, in Texas. Why are we not, where's, where's the crossover to the community need to be? And that's part of Tab's responsibility too, and to get some young talent in there. And he's made some really good signings so far. We'll just see how they all fit together. It's always been a bizarre conversation to have, isn't it, in Houston? Why are they not selling out? The stadium is in a very accessible part of downtown as well. Um, the public transport is fine. There's plenty of ways to get to the stadium. I think, like you've insinuated, there perhaps is a culture issue at Houston Dynamo. I've, I've got a, a close friend of mine who used to work at the Dynamo, and he said um, there were issues, no doubt, internally. Um, and the culture needs changing. But is the best way to not change the culture, Kendra, just to simply win and be successful? Absolutely. Winning cannot hurt. But I think they've had times where they have won games. Now, the last couple of years, they've struggled. They for sure struggle away from home, but somehow they find a way to win. I'm sorry, they struggle on the road, but they find a way and they always win at home. And, and it seems like that's a weather issue more than anything, but you're still winning at home in front of your fans. So, um, and we've been there. We've walked to the stadium. We've been dropped off outside the stadium a few blocks away. They have several blocks shut down for kind of a celebration, a pregame celebration. I don't know what's going on for 2020 with the lack of fans and the lack of social gatherings, but it felt like there was there was an energy there and that people just wanted something to grasp onto 
but it's the broader base maybe outside of the downtown Houston area that they're not finding that connection with. And you and I have talked to Glenn Davis several times and he's lived in Houston for a very long time as a broadcaster. And he's always been frustrated by the lack of, you know, continuity between the club and the community. But yes, winning absolutely helps. And right now Tab's not losing. You know, they just won their first game, but handily against the Sporting Kansas City side in in Kansas City, who rarely ever loses there. Five to two, they made Kansas City look silly with some nice goals by the pieces that they've acquired. A Christian Ramirez, a Darwin Quintero, and then, of course, Albert Elise getting on the board as well. So things could be looking up for them, and I'm sure they're going to try to build off that into Wednesday. Yeah, let's dive a little deeper into that Kansas City victory, shall we? It looked like Tab Ramos had gotten a group of players together, as you've insinuated, that are finally starting to understand his way of playing and the way he wants to. Short, sharp bursts, um, quite direct. Um, but we saw a lot of goals coming from out wide from a, a Dynamo perspective, which is not surprising given the talent he has in the likes of Quintero and Elise. Um, Quintero, whilst he was playing on the left-hand side of a 4-3-3, we, we know he's going to tuck inside and, and Luke Fist will, will overlap on the left. How impressed were you? with them against Sporting Kansas City? Well, I was impressed with not just the way they played in the formation he threw out there. And Darwin, you're right. He does exactly what we saw him do several times for Minnesota United, and we've seen others do for Minnesota United, where they start on the left-hand side, but they drift inside and really have the freedom to roam as long as they sort of can make things work and they can be successful. And we saw that with Darwin. But I think more importantly, the fact that they went to Kansas City and did it there. Because I think oftentimes when you head on the road and MLS teams seem to change the way they play or the mindset is just different when you head on the road, you're just not, um, you, you may say, hey, we're going to go in and play our game, but then you step on the pitch and it just doesn't develop into that. And I think that um, they went in there with the mindset that they could win this game, that they could dominate this game. They could take away or take advantage of a Kansas City team that struggled defensively and changed their back line quite a bit. And um, you thought their woes were fixed from 2019, but maybe not. And Houston took advantage and they had some really nice goals. These weren't fluke goals. These were really nice finishes. And and they have other pieces like Amoro Monotas and, uh, you know, Memo Rodriguez and um, just other pieces to the puzzle and some solid central pieces. Boniac Garcia has been there since the first day, I think, Houston existed um, since Houston was founded, I think, in Texas. He's the only player on their roster, I think, that was on the roster the last time they went to Sporting Kansas City and beat them. So when you throw certain guys in that fold um, that are good, solid veterans, uh, I think that that's how they found success. And Tab is trying to lean on those guys and, and put some pressure on those guys to perform and lead. We'll save the million-dollar question till last. We were very impressed with several players that came off the bench in Dallas, Kendra. Mm. What do you expect the Minnesota United starting eleven to be against Houston Dynamo? I think that Adrian will go back to his starting 11 from the game against Dallas. I think those guys have now had an extra 40 minutes of rest on their legs. Normally we'd say with a quick turnaround, maybe they wouldn't, maybe he wouldn't go with the same starting 11, but they've sat the entire second half. Um, I have not talked to Adrian, so I don't know if it was just sending a message, if it was just, you know, they needed a spark. I, I don't know what it was exactly. But the point is, is that I think that even if he wasn't intentionally sending a message, they had to have gotten one. That front four needs to be better. I was really excited to see that four, two, three, one. You and I talked about it on and off the air. Oh, now you've got Kevin sitting under Luis. You've got, you know, Robin and Ethan more in their true positions. We can get some width. 
and it didn't come together at all like I was thinking it was going to. And instead, he changed the formation and the lineup in the second half, and that's when we saw the spark. So we'll see tactically what Adrian does, what formation he goes with, where he tells those guys to position themselves, even if they do the four-two-three-one again. Um, but I think he goes back to his starting eleven that we saw on Friday, assuming, or I'm you know, on Saturday, assuming everybody is healthy. And um, we've not heard different from training this week. And um, it. I do think that they're still lacking width. I do think that it's too crowded in there for Luis and Kevin to do what they need to do and combine and be successful if Robin and Ethan are cutting in too much. So we'll see what Adrian says. We will indeed. And you can see and you can join us uh, on Wednesday evening for Minnesota United away at Houston Dynamo, Fox Sports North Plus, 6.30pm. Do join us. You, of course, can listen to the game on the radio as well on our radio partner, Score North. From all of us here, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you Wednesday evening as Minnesota United hit the road against Houston Dynamo.